You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. waiting for celebration all year long are you ready to celebrate i can't believe what i just saw everybody, and welcome to GeekFest Rant. My name is Carlos Perón, and today we are going to be hitting two different subjects, one of them being Celebration Chicago. They recently announced the latest location of the next Star Wars Celebration for 2019. We're going to talk about how that affects, you know, some of the locals, some of the not locals, people that are happy and not happy about that. Uh, we're also going to come up with some ideas we're going to kind of throw out there of how to make the future celebrations maybe a little more accessible for everybody since, you know, wherever you seem to put it, it will always isolate a good chunk of the country. And then we're going to move on to the state of fandom specifically because we've done the state of fandom in the past, but specifically nowadays, very recently, the what appears to be the toxic state of Star Wars fandom from people on the internet to boycotts to fan reactions to all kinds of things having to do with this internet toxicity that is taking place pretty much from different places that are not definitely not what the spirit of star wars is all about so let's begin with celebration 2019 interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. As it has been recently announced, Star Wars Celebration for 2019 will be held in Chicago, Illinois. This is a bit of a disappointment to, obviously, people that don't exactly live there. (laughs) You know, we were hoping it was going to be Orlando again, which odds were totally against it because of the fact that we just had one, you know, most recently about a year ago. 
Now, very recently, there was a quick flurry of internet rumors going around that it was going to be Anaheim once again this time, This you know, going back and forth, East Coast, West Coast. But instead, they went somewhere a little different, which when you really think about it, it kind of makes sense in terms of, all right, they're trying a new location. And it kind of makes sense. You know, they never really had one, I think, in that area, more or less. I mean, they had Indiana. Uh, let's see. Let's go through them one by one. The Celebration 1 was in... Denman, Colorado. Celebration 2, Indianapolis, Indiana. Celebration 3, once again, Indianapolis, Indiana. Celebration 4, Los Angeles, California. Then they had Celebration Europe in London. Then they had Celebration Japan in Chiba, Japan. Then they had Celebration 5 in Orlando, Florida, which is the one I went to, the first one. And then Celebration 6, once again, Orlando, Florida, which was the one I also went to. Then you had Celebration Europe 2, which was the continuation of Europe, which was in Essen, Germany. Then Celebration Anaheim. This is when they started getting away from the numbering of celebrations and just giving them their destination as their title. This was Anaheim, California. Then you had Celebration Europe 3. I guess they're sticking with the numbers for Europe <laughs> purposes in London, England, United Kingdom. Then you had Celebration Orlando. This is uh, only a year ago in Orlando, Florida. And the next one will be Celebration Chicago. First time in Chicago, I believe. Which is, again, you know, I'm sure the people in the Midwest are celebrating because they finally don't have to travel that far. I'm still shocked at the fact that they weren't able to put one in New York yet somehow. Or in the or, or even in New Jersey, you know, because you have a, you know. A, and I guess it's probably way too expensive, I imagine. That's probably the, the, the biggest thing. And it's too competitive. Too many other Big shows are going there. Or I'm surprised they didn't put one in, in Las Vegas yet because you figure that's a big convention place too. But anyway, you know, I'm glad, you know, that they, they have one for themselves. I'm, I'm sad for myself. I'll be watching it, uh, you know, once again through the internet. I'll be watching those live streams or pre uh, post-recorded live streams and, you know. And you think about it, as far as the celebrations go, you know, from my experience, because these things are getting so huge, these are getting, you know, close to the, I think, uh, 70, 80, 90,000 attendee level. You know, again, we're not dealing with in San Diego Comic-Con numbers, but the numbers are becoming way, way, way bigger than what we were used to uh, when the, this whole thing first started. Uh, the one that I like to talk about a lot, and I have many times before is what, what we like to call Celebration Zero, which was the first official Star Wars convention held in, I don't know, I think it was 86, 87, something like that. I think it was 87. It was the uh, 10th anniversary Star Wars creation one, uh, which isn't even considered a celebration because they didn't title it Celebration, but that was the first time ever. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the beginning. That's where it all started. I was luckily able to attend that one. The more recent ones, let's see, when I attended Celebration 5, that was... uh the weekend of August uh, 12th to the 15th, 2010, I was still living up in uh, in New Jersey, I believe. And when I attended Celebration 6, two years later, I was still living in Jersey. That one was August 16th to the 19th, 2012. You know, those were two trips that we took down here. I don't remember if we flew or drove because back then we used to do a lot of the driving. We used to do this crazy driving marathons with the kids, but the, both of our kids were there for those two conventions. Uh, some of our friends even attended some of them, not all of them, I think, but some of them. Uh, we had an absolute ball. I don't remember exactly if this is what triggered our 
convention going increase in New York, you know, with New York Comic Cons. It might have kind of, you know, I, I went through a, a convention period when I was younger, which ironically was after, I think, after the 10th anniversary Star Wars convention in uh, in 87, where it was kind of like, well, you know what? I actually figured out how this works now. And all of a sudden they started advertising other creation presents Star Wars 10th anniversary. And this is something that I want to kind of talk about. And that is back then, after that initial 10th anniversary, big deal convention in California, in Los Angeles, creation and Lucasfilm sort of, I don't know if you want to call it partnered up, uh, maybe it was just creation and they started hiring, you know, uh, Star Wars people, obviously, to kind of keep that momentum going. You know, they were still doing the, re- the usual conventions. There was, you know, the, the Thanksgiving convention and, you know, the, the, you know, there were theme conventions, but they were open for everything. But the big one, I think, was the Thanksgiving one. It was like a three-day convention and it was just at, at the Roosevelt Hotel, I think it was called. And then they changed to other hotels. And that was the ones where I really started going on my own, traveling to the city. I would, at some point, I remember I started bringing my own eight millimeter video camera to record some of those panels. Uh, this is back when they will allow you to record some of the panels even. And that kind of got my, the ball rolling with me, you know, through the late eighties, early nineties, let's say, you know, in, in the convention going arena, New York, some Jersey. So that kind of petered out after a while. And I, I attended a few conventions, but not as regular as I used to go. I used to do when I was much younger. And then again, after this time, you know, when we're dealing with celebrations and the, the fact that they were finally going to an area where we were familiar with, or, or at least an area we were used to visiting, you know, when they announced Denver, Colorado or Indianapolis, or even LA, we knew there was no way we were going there because we had no reason to be there. It was going to be too expensive, you know, all that kind of stuff. But when they finally decided on Orlando, since we were already making these almost yearly trips to Orlando to visit our in-laws, that was like the perfect storm of, you know what, now we have an excuse to do it. Let's just pull the trigger on this and do it. And we did. And we brought our kids. So they started getting into it and they got the the bug for conventions. And then after that, like I said, I think that kind of brought back this whole convention-going thing of ours, of going to New York Comic Con, for example. You know, the my podcast started right around the time, right around the time that we returned from Celebration 5. I do remember attending, I believe, a couple of podcasting panels at Celebration 5 where they talk about it. And I was like, you know what? This is it. I got to do this myself because I have so many you know, stories to tell and that sort of thing. And at the time, we did have a bigger contributor base, you know, when we were living in Jersey, uh, as far as people that are willing to, you know, put the effort into it. Uh, you know, obviously, most of this effort came due to the distance. Distance is something that's very important <laughs> to some people. If you have to put more than a certain amount of effort, everything goes out the window. But at the time, it was very convenient and easy to do. But it was specifically Celebration 5 that kind of triggered the whole thing. Uh, not only the podcast, but being able to starting to attend conventions again. And like I said, that's when we started then hitting New York Comic Cons. Uh, we participated in New York Comic Cons. We, we got some booths to promote the show a couple of times, you know, when they used to have a, uh, an easier way of doing podcasting areas. And that kind of kept the ball rolling for a while until they stopped doing them in Orlando. You know, and granted, they did two back to back, you know, two years apart, but there was a, it was a period where they, you know, they, they, we were on a roll in terms of traveling to Orlando, going back to the same hotels, going to the same convention circuit. And that was 2012. 
And then they went to other places, as I mentioned before, but eventually they came back to Orlando. And at this time, we were already here. We were already living here. So they were kind of coming to us this time, which was great. And this was last year. Once again, a few of our friends came and we were able to, uh, you know, all of us go together for this convention. What I have been saying for a long time now is, and I'm surprised that they don't do, is the fact that these conventions now take place in one location. It's usually every other year. They normally don't do years back to back. They've done them a few times, but they normally don't do that sort of thing. I imagine it takes an enormous amount of planning. But what I don't understand is why don't they take advantage of the multiple location settings like they used to in the past. So in other words, let's say, for example, this next convention takes place in Chicago. And Chicago is, you know, the hub of where all this is going to be happening. Well, why couldn't they at the same time hold other smaller conventions at other designated areas for the people that, number one, are convention goers, period. And number two, people that cannot travel that far. Now, granted, the guests are not going to be available to be at both locations at the same time. Understood. But there's probably local guests that could probably go to these other places. And here's the important part. Being able to watch some of these feeds live, unedited, that would be a great draw to people, I think, who would attend these satellite conventions at the same time. So you could do that. There's a lot of times on these conventions where if you're trying to watch it at home and some of these feeds, first of all, every panel is not televised or streamed, if you will. They could, they could, they could televise, they could, they could stream all these panels if they wanted. They could cost them some money, but they could do it. You know, it's a matter of just another, you know, it's another YouTube stream that you're opening or another Facebook stream or something like that. It's done all the time. Number two, for those of us who watch at home, you know, when they stream these things, there's a lot of times where they'll show you exclusive footage. Well, the exclusive footage is blocked for the people at home. So as a perk, of a convention goer at a satellite location, you could show them the exclusive footage, whether it's behind the scenes or a trailer or whatever little knickknack they throw at you, whatever bone they throw at you, they could do that at these conventions so that you do have that available. Now, granted that this is going to be a four or five day event, 11, 12, 13, 14. This is a five day convention. It seems a lot longer than it used to. Yeah, it seems like five. They're going to a five-day thing as opposed to a four-day thing. Anyway, what they could do is, you know, they could have the multiple-day event. It doesn't have to be five days. It could be two days. It could be just the weekend. And you would just stream those events from the weekend. And guess what? You could replay events from the other days, you know. So this way, you know, you do have a lot of content. Now, for something like this, you would require a, a place that has a large seating capacity to be able to watch these videos. So watching these videos would be the perk of attending these conventions. The other thing or the other possible model is, you know, doing it live at the same time is one model. The other model is, guess what? Why don't you do it a month later or two months later? Uh, have it a continuous, you know, year-round events where you say, all right, this takes place in April, Chicago. Okay, well, let's say in June, let's do one in New York. And in uh, October, let's do one in Tennessee. You know, have it travel the country, uh, you know, obviously strategic places where conventions are popular, let's say. 
And this way you can bring, you can invite some of these Star Wars people to attend a different location. And that's what they used to do in the past. I do remember some of the people that I saw at that first initial creation 10th anniversary convention then started showing up in New York. Peter Mayhew, for example, I think Billy D. Williams, you know, some of these other guys, they started popping up in other locations and they were kind of billed as the 10th anniversary Star Wars. It was kind of like a continuation of it. So again, I don't know why they don't do that. Everything usually ends up being about money. And I don't know if it just takes so much effort to put these conventions together, but when you look around and you see all these little Comic-Con, whatever town you live in, con, <laughs> that pop up everywhere, you know, even here in or near Orlando, which is about an hour away from where I live, there are all kinds of, you know, whatever cons, uh, Tampa con, Orlando con, you know, Mega con, this con, that con. If some people are able to put together these conventions so frequently without too much fanfare, you know, these are not mega super convention distributors or organizers. These are your typical convention guys. Why can't they do that with Repop, who obviously is the one that runs these things? Why can't they do these smaller kind of shows through the country to keep the, you know, keep the momentum going? Now, granted, the momentum has to come, I imagine, from at one point Lucasfilm and now Disney. So, I think maybe they just don't feel it's worth the effort. They get enough promotion. They get enough money. They don't need to go out of their way to come to the fans, let the fans come to them. And those who can't make it, you know, too bad. <laughs> I guess that's the attitude. They are just rolling in way too much money now to have to, you know, target individual parts of the country with convention incentives, you know, guests and that sort of thing. But like I said, I think there's something there. I think there's the possibility that, you know, to compensate for the days that this main convention would require that you cannot replicate somewhere else, you know, multiple times a year. And the guest list, because you cannot get all those people to show up at, you know, Ohio <laughs> or, or, or Texas, wherever, you know, you could get a fraction of them to come if it's on a different date. So that is a possibility. And like I said, being able to replay the events, all of the events and unedited, unblocked, I think that's enough of an incentive for, for at least somebody like me to say, yeah, I'm going to go to the St. Petersburg or Tampa or, you know, whatever, Orlando, whatever they happen to have it here in Florida. I'm willing to travel to that location to have a two day experience of almost Star Wars because you got to remember, and this happened to me this last couple of times. These conventions are so huge that if you really want to get into a panel, you're going to be standing in line for a few hours. You're going to be getting up super early to get a wristband so then you can go stand in line, you know, one of these crazy deals. My main thing with the convention, and I would say 75% of my convention involves the dealer floor. I love walking the dealer floor and seeing all his merchandise and buying stuff. A small percentage of it is also attending the smaller panels, the collecting panels, the, you know, the rare, the podcasting panels, stuff like that, that I'm more interested in. Every now and then I might get into either an animated panel, Clone Wars, Rebels, whatever, you know, happens to be at the time. And sometimes if I'm lucky, I'll get into an actual actor panel. You know, I was able to see Carrie Fisher. Uh, I was able to see, you know, some other one of these, you know, top star uh, panels, but I was never able to get into, you know, the main event of that particular day, which sometimes it involves Lucas making an appearance or something like that. So 
as far as I'm concerned, you know, because my main interest is the dealers. And keep in mind that the dealers, there's tons of dealers that deal in Star Wars merchandise. And a lot of them cannot afford to go to these conventions because the prices are astronomical, you know, to be able to bring all their crap over to the center, to be able to get a hotel room, and then to be able to afford the booth and to feed themselves and the crew and, and house everybody, they have to sell a lot of material, a lot of merchandise to break even at these things. So it's tough on them to everybody all of a sudden now schlep everything up to Chicago. But if you kind of work your way around and do smaller venues, then these guys can stay a little more local and be able to afford it. So you could have, I think, a decent dealer room, a decent large dealer room, you know, catering to Star Wars primarily. You know, you could bring it. I'm sure you're going to have guys selling just about everything. But sticking to that Star Wars theme, I think it could be done, you know, with either one of my, you know, suggested models, the live model or the after the convention is over model. <laughs> so that's just something to keep in mind. And I, I really hope they go in that direction one day. You know, that's just me wishful thinking because uh, at this rate, I have no idea when we're going to see one again. This is 2019 that this next one is happening in Chicago. So after this, I'm sure they are due at least something in Europe, somewhere else, I'm sure. Maybe even Asia. Who knows? They haven't been to Asia in a while. So... By the time they they work their way back to Orlando, it's going to be a while, I think. It's going to be quite a while. And that's what I'm saying. Do smaller ones. This way, you know, you can kind of keep the ball rolling a little bit. Keep people a little happy about it. Nevertheless, I'm going to watch this. You know, whatever they stream, I'm going to watch it afterwards. You know, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to go online and try to live vicariously through people's uh, streaming and postings and, and descriptions and, and all of that stuff that comes out of that. But... There you have it. My thought on Star Wars uh, celebrations past, present, and future. Let's take a quick break now and listen to a little spot from our friends at IC Robots. If you're into anything having to do with retro, vintage toys and 80s shows and all kinds of 80s and 70s vintage retro kind of games, television, movies, all of that geek culture that we love here at GeekFest Rants, take a look when you visit their site. They have a podcast called The Toys R Us Report, and we strongly recommend it. So have a listen. Tune in to The Toys R Us Report for your weekly dose of pop culture talk that's out of this world. Movies, TV, toys, comics, and more every Wednesday on the IC Robots radio network at icrobots.com. What are you waiting for? It's time to get down or come up. All right, we're back. Thank you guys from IC Robots, and let's continue with our show. All right, in the past, we've talked about updates on the state of fandom and how things have working and what are the big popular things that people are into and how fandom diverts and diverges in different sectors, you know, from your Trekkies to your Star Wars people, you know, to your Doctor Who people and stuff like that. And I would say, historically... Things were always kind of up to a certain level. And the intensity of fans usually seemed to go in basically two directions. You had your casual fans and your and your super over-the-top kind of fans. And, and that kind of thing, I remember, you could see especially when you went to conventions where 
you know, you had people that were there. I don't want to call them the mainstream fans, but there was definitely a difference between the super, super fan, the where you would walk into a room and all of a sudden there would be three or four people speaking in a different language, whether they're talking Klingon or something, <laughs> because they're really, really into whatever it is that they're, that they happen to be doing. What, you know, it could be Doctor Who, it could be whatever it is that are kind of taking the, the whole fandom thing to a different level. I mean, do you remember that in conventions and that sort of thing? Or did you always have the same type of fans you know, for everything that you've ex- been experienced. No, you you always have different levels of fandom. And I mean, I, I think it's more than just two levels. You've got the casual viewer uh, who enjoys it, doesn't need to get into the details, and that's fine. You've got the middle-of-the-road fans that uh, they really enjoy it. They'll watch it a lot. They'll find out about it. They'll enjoy a good con. And then you've got ones that for others seem to be crossing the line in terms of they can speak Klingon, they can, they create incredible cosplays and nothing wrong with that either. I think people vary in their in in how much time they have to give a fandom, and how much dedication. And it's all it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and but that used to be. I kind of see that as something in the past, more of a a pre-internet kind of fandom. You know, the type of thing that would be mocked on an SNL skit. You know, a, a Shatner get a life kind of skit, where you know they're they're kind of pointing at a certain fan that you know you could say they're going way over the top in terms of how much their their whatever it is that they're into is kind of now overlapping into their real life, but it never. I've never gotten the impression before, I would say for a long time now, that it was kind of bordering on the vicious and hateful side of fandom. Now, one of the things that I used to talk about, and and I used to feel this way, was that one of the reasons that I am not, you know, into sports, because to me, sports is almost like politics, you know, the, the intensity of the fandom of sports, because when you get down to it, everything is fandom. Whatever you happen to be into, whatever is the thing that, you know, characterizes you. You you know, you among certain groups, you might, you know, you might hear somebody say, here comes the whatever guy. Here's the guy that can't stop talking about politics. Here's the guy that can't stop talking about hockey. Here's the guy that can't stop talking about whatever. You know, with geeky, nerdy stuff, when it does get over or when it used to kind of get over the top, it would just be because of the intensity of whatever it is that you're into. But when you kind of move to things like sports and especially politics, religion, you know, all those hot button kind of issues, you know, with sports, I used to see it more often and it still happens where people are so into their team, whatever the heck the team happens to be. You know, that you you end up with bar fights and all kinds of arguments having to do with sports. You end up with, you know, uh, adults uh, coaching kids and then cursing starts from the parents or the coaches. (laughs) And, you know, trying to treat some of these kids like they're professional athletes and screaming at them. And, you know, that kind of stuff. I would never in the past associate that with geeky, nerdy fandom. How about you? Have you ever seen that? No, usually... Uh, in the past, but, but you know, you have to remember, maybe the generation before us, the whole entertainment geekdom fandom, 
is relatively new compared to politics and sports and and things of that nature. That's where the people that didn't fit into those sports, polit- political, whatever those type of things would go to. They're yeah. the they were the outcasts basically. It's I think what's happening today is. It, you know, for a lot of people, again, not everybody, everyone's got different levels of their fandom. But for a lot of people, their fandom was their safety net, it was their comfort zone, if they didn't feel comfortable somewhere else. And I think what's happening now, especially maybe with older fans, our age, old, older, they're seeing change within some of their fandoms and they don't like the change because it's not their comfort zone. And when you take someone out of their comfort zone, they sometimes they get ornery. They get, they, they don't like it. I mean, there's certain things I don't like, but I try and keep a fresh perspective on it. Well, let's get to the bottom of the issue that we are trying to get to here. And that is the toxicity of fandom and specifically what's been happening lately on the internet, because this is an internet phenomenon, really, having to do with the last Jedi reaction that people seem to be having, you know, and how it, it's projecting towards the solo movie, perceived or real, not sure yet, and how this whole thing has been happening now where one of the actors from Last Jedi, Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose, hit the news that she is you know, quitting the uh, uh, Instagram, I think yep, it, was, it was, Instagram because of the uh, backlash that she's been getting, the hate mail and the, the just the vile that's coming, you know, from people that dislike her, not just the character or the movie, but personally, it is, it is getting pretty nasty to the point where she's kind of stepping away from it. And, and it's bringing everybody into this conversation of what exactly is going on with this. In other words... We were talking about, you know, how the geeky, nerdy stuff used to be this separate thing aside from these other conversations that could, you know, turn up and turn into arguments and and all kinds of serious type of thing. But how all of a sudden now this is now becoming that sort of thing. As far as I can tell, I would trace it back to The Force Awakens. Uh, Now, granted, with Star Wars, yes, every single movie had its critics, whether they're professional critics or just the the viewers. You know, from what I understand, and I'm too, I don't even remember this because, you know, when I saw it, it was just an, an incoming flux of information, but apparently some people didn't like C-3PO too much because he was a little too salesman-y, kind of prissy kind of character. In Empire, I forget what it was. There was something else that they didn't like certain things about Empire, even though Empire now is considered to be one of the best ones. And obviously with Jedi, you know, oh, I know what it was. Empire, it was like Yoda's a puppet. Oh, now it's the Muppets. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. Muppets. Now it's the Muppet. But we kind of got through that and learned to appreciate it. With Jedi, it was the Ewoks. Oh, it's the Ewoks. It's the little furry yeah, toys. It's a cash grab. <laughs> it's a toy. That's all he cares about and blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. But again, it kind of... We, we kind of went through that, and it never really affected fandom in general. Some people liked it, some people didn't like it, but that's kind of where it ended. Well, a lot of people had issues with the prequels, a lot of big issues. Well, but it was, a, I, think, I think that was a pillar version of the toxicity that's happening now. I oh, think no, it was no, the no. beginning of it. Right. It I mean, the, 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 the prequels, you had, you had the Jar Jar factor where people absolutely... 
a lot of oh, people, some Jar-Jar. kids loved him, some kids hated <laughs> him. Uh, older people seem to really yeah. dislike him. Uh, Anakin, any version of him, the whiny little kid, the older, whinier adult, you know, there were a lot of things of that sort that, you know, people just didn't react too well to. And from what I understand, this type of stuff, Lucas has lived with all his adult life as he's been making these films is that he obviously doesn't appreciate this negative uh, you know feedback that that would start coming back and to the point where people would be even making films i mean i remember there was a a fan film called the 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 people versus george lucas and it was kind of like an indictment of of how lucas ruined everybody's life by creating (laughs) the prequels Uh, granted the, the 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 film is not as bad as it sounds but the people that now you're that are being interviewed, you start to kind of go, these people I think are taking this a little bit too serious. Look, I I mean, Star Wars has been a really important part of my life since from a very, very young age. I went to see the first movie when I was uh, what? How old? I must have been six. seven, six, seven years old. Yeah, seven. I went in fighting, screaming, tooth and nail. I don't want to watch some stupid war movie in space and I came out completely converted (laughs) but I mean it was it was an important part of my childhood it's an important part of my adulthood it's an important part of our children's uh, childhood and venturing into adulthood however there is real life also and to blame George Lucas for ruining your life because he decided to take his films in a certain direction is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You don't have to agree with him, but it was his baby. And like you said, to a certain extent, there was some of that kind of blowback during the prequels. Not as bad as now. Now we're in a whole other stratosphere. Now, like I said, I kind of trace it back to The Force Awakens. Now, granted, that coincides with Disney buying Lucasfilm and all of a sudden this being placed on different hands a lot of people being scared of what is Disney going to do with this franchise. Are they going to uh, saturate the market too much? Are they going to screw up the characters, this or that? But even before you have your first frame of that film you know, being released for the general public, I already started noticing personally, you know, directly, not, not, not reading on the internet, but from people that I know... Just the trailer alone having a reaction that is like, wait a minute, this is going somewhere else. And I'm specifically talking about racial related things or sex related things. Or political for, related things. Well, for yeah, for example, I, 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 you know, I've had people that all of a sudden like, why is there a black guy as the, you know, why, why is he, what, what, why, why would you make a black guy the star of the film? Why is there a woman now? Oh, this is the whole Disney trying to appeal to certain people, certain kinds of people. So I kind of started hearing that speech every single time a new Star Wars film was coming out now as to, well, this is made specifically because they're trying to appeal to this kind and that kind. And, and Rose Tico, well, they're appealing to the, to, to, the, to the Asian market, you know. And it's like, okay, but... What's what's unusual here is that a lot of these people seem to forget that you know a lot of them are saying oh now everything's political now everything has a purpose it's it's Kathleen Kennedy so it's a woman she's now this this uh, you know women's lib type of uh, agenda that she's uh, trying to force our our young children into you know absorbing but 
everybody again forgets that what was the message of Star Wars? Star Wars became popular with everybody, and that's one of the that's one of the things that every filmmaker wants to do, no matter what his message is. They want everybody to see it. They don't want just people that agree with him politically. Now, unless you really don't know anything about filmmaking and Lucas and the history of him, if this is the first time you ever go to the movie theater, Lucas is a, you know, he's kind of like a hippie kind of child of the 60s counterculture type of guy. He was part yeah. of that community. And that's reflected from frame one of Star Wars. Star Wars is really, you know, the obviously, you know, it's the Empire. This is coming out of, you know, Nixon and the 70s and Watergate and Vietnam. It's basically an anti- imperialistic message that he's working with. Well, what do you think? It, it's from the very beginning. The rebellion was built of people from different worlds, different worlds, different right. races, different As opposed languages, to the empire religions. that is supposed to be a unified racial kind of... They don't go into it in that detail, but you look at the characters. They're, fr you know, these are all one, cer one certain kind of character. The books kind of flesh it out a little more, but... You know, they're all dressed kind of like Nazis. So you're kind of getting the message here that this is, you know, there, there is the World War II throwback there too of the, the, you know, the allies of, let's say, stamping out fascism or Nazism or whatever it is. So, you, you know, you get a combination of all these different flavors. But what's strange is nowadays, and this happens all the time, is that people take a movie or or a story, let's say, and they project their own values into them, even if your values are completely 180 degree, you know, away from what the original intent is. So for people to say, well, why do they have to be this way? Why do they have to be so inclusive? Why? But, but that's the nature of the characters. It's, it's the nature of the story. Um, I mean, sure, it, it's, you, know, you got to remember that Disney is is definitely this is this is business for them. This is a business for them, and, and I'm sure to agree to a degree. I mean, it was a business for Lucasfilm too. It has to be. Right. These these uh, companies are going to exist. They need to cater to everybody. But Lucas but was also more able to say to himself, "This might cost me a little money, but I'm more interested in my point of view mm -hmm. than in the shareholders because right. he had no right. shareholders." Which Disney is a hundred percent a corporation. Yep. And the bottom line is money. Money is everything, 100%. But the way that they're targeting their audience is that they're not focusing, you know, this is, Disney is not Fox News. They don't want the 55 to 75 range right-wing Republican crowd. Disney wants everybody, whether you're mm -hmm. gay, straight, yellow, purple, whatever, right. disabled, black, white. And that they was the just whole want message everybody. of Star Wars to right. begin with. Uh, the, the rebellion, people coming together of all different walks of life to to live the way they want to, to live in freedom and not under the thumb of right. one government. But what my point is that this is a coincidence that it's also the goal of Disney, not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's the good thing to do, it's because money. It's by coincidence that Disney is agreeing to do this sort of thing. Now, that's their thing. And if they want to be all-inclusive because the goal is to make money, then that's what you're dealing with. They're not catering to a certain political party or a, se or a certain sexual agenda it's just that they want everybody. Yeah. And some people are having a big problem with that now 
because that's what they're doing. Right. Um, What I meant before when I said a certain government, I meant a dictatorship over everybody. That's that's what the rebellion was against. But when you think about that with what Disney wants, and again, it's a business, so they want to make money. If I try and look inward and try to appeal to my childhood self that, you know, fell in love with Star Wars, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it's all about the money. But the fact of the matter is, it is. And that's the way the world works. So to start berating actors for being part of a film because of their their race, their their role in the film is just, I mean, I can't wrap my head around it is basically it. I mean, I'm, you know, did, did I like Rose? I, I liked Rose. Okay. Did I like her exact role in the film? No. I mean, I have my issues with The Last Jedi. I mean, I'm not going to get into them all here. And she needs to keep her hands off of Finn because he belongs with Ray. But again, that's my personal thing. But would I ever start berating someone on social media or anywhere else because of a role they played I I can't wrap my head around it and I it's hard to understand what's going through somebody's head that they need to do that and that their comfort zone is that fragile that to be broken they need to harm somebody else do you understand what I'm saying no yeah yeah their comfort zone is that critical to their survival that they need to harm somebody else in some way shape or form the other thing is that trying to be more diverse wasn't invented with the force awakens no. if you think back to even empire strikes back that's what i'm saying there be, there was beginning? a lot of criticism that you know there weren't enough women in star wars only princess mm-hmm. leia if you think about it there weren't any black people really in star wars so mm-hmm. guess what all of a sudden now you have lando as part of you know they, there's a second character created that's an important character and he they made him a black character boom there it is did people complain about it back then Certain people, I'm sure, did. But those people that probably complained, I imagine, were quieter people. They're people that today feel emboldened to complain out loud about it. But back then, they kind of kept it quiet. By the time you got to Return of the Jedi, I think you even have more women. You have Mon Mothma. You have, you know, he is kind of trying to, you know, fix the mistakes or make things a little more believable or whatever. But back then, you could kind of do that stuff and not really piss off too many people but now it's a completely different field that we're dealing with and it's especially sad because a lot of fans in the star wars community as well as other fans of other fandoms not so much these days because it's become so much so mainstream but way back in the day you got mocked you got ostracized for walking around talking about star wars you know as a kid for you know looking you know bringing your star wars trading cards to school instead of your baseball cards things like that i mean not everybody, but a lot of the fandom community, the older generations anyway, should know what it feels like to be ostracized and not accepted. And for them to turn around now, I'm, you know, my philosophy, though, on the Star Wars community, the Star Wars fandom, what's happening now with Tran and, and all the things we've been discussing, I find real sad because in the past, We've gone to Star Wars Celebration. We've gone three times to Orlando, to the Orlando Celebrations. It was always a different feel. 
I always held Star Wars fans in higher regard than many others, not just because I liked the um, environment. I mean, I've gone to New York Comic Con, I've gone to other cons, and I enjoy them, but there's not the same feel. There's not the same feel from the fandom. And when we brought our children to Celebration, they felt embraced by the the 501st, by the uh, Rebel Alliance. Uh, they were having lightsaber fights. It was just a really good feeling. And even at the last one in Orlando, when they showed the Last Jedi trailer to the, to the big vendor hall, there were people just crowded around to get a first glimpse of this trailer. And they played it and people are hooting and hollering and screaming. And then it was done. And everybody started to back away, go back to the vendor tables and the whole thing. And then they announced, should we see that again? And I panicked because, oh my gosh, everyone has a second chance to look at this trailer. I'm going to get stampeded. And I grabbed my daughter's hand and I'm like, oh my gosh. But you know what happened? Everybody either kind of ran, walked very fast in the most polite manner I have ever seen. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, yes, this is the fandom I'm proud to be a part of. But this, what's going on now? I'm not proud of that at all. I'm kind of shocked and the thing disappointed. Is, the thing is that, you know, when, when you have that this kind of thing happening where, you know, actors are being harassed and that sort of thing. And what's also happening at the same time is that because Solo is not making the kind of money that they were expecting or not expecting, but wanted it to make, people are claiming responsibility or they're taking credit in a way for... This is what happens to you, Disney, when you mess with my characters. It's almost kind of like, uh, whether it's real or not, they're, they're, they're legitimizing their, it's like some a of their views. It's like and, it's a five-year-old mentality. And, you know, the way I see it, and, and who knows for sure, but there is a couple of problems happening here. Number one is that Solo was released only six months after... The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I don't think they gave the movie enough time to breathe. No. You, you need a little space to breathe, and I don't know why they decided to do that. It, I don't know if it was an experiment to see if it would work, and guess what? It didn't work. It hurt you. The other thing is, the month they released it was competing with some of Disney's own films. It was competing with Marvel, specifically with Infinity War and Deadpool 2. So, again, you're sucking the air out of that month and out of that period where... Some people will just not go to the movies. Now, to the claim that this is blowback from The the Last Jedi, that is something that also has to be taken into account because some people are thinking or some people are claiming that you either love Star Wars and The Last Jedi or you're just a racist jerk like the people that are harassing this actress. But there's a little more to that in my opinion and that is The Last Jedi was a dividing kind of film and it is not just because of the racist jerks that I'm aware of and the people that are out there screaming about why is this guy black and why is she and why is there a woman leading Lucasfilm what the hell's wrong with Kathleen Why get her the hell out you know that kind of stuff no there's a lot of people that have a problem with the script the the decisions that the script writer took and the director decided to follow basically because he was you know involved in the creating of that those are the type of things that I'm still harping on and that those are the things that bothered me. And I think that, yes, those are legitimate complaints that cannot just be shuffled off into saying, well, that's just part of the racist complaint. No, 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 no. This is, like I said before, it's a structural problem that comes from the story group or the director or somebody. Well, let me, let me ask you then this, okay? Uh, that's what I've wondered about with this last trilogy 
what's going on with the story group? I mean, shouldn't they be overseeing the story, where this story is supposed to go from Force Awakens through Episode Nine? Where is Pablo Hidalgo in this? Where is Sherry? Where? Why is so much leeway in the hardcore story details being given to directors when especially when the directors seem to be able to change you know uh, on a whim change the the details on a whim now that I find disappointing and it makes me uncomfortable and I don't hate the new films I was fine with Force Awakens Last Jedi I do have issues with maybe not as many as you do but you know I'm, I'm wondering what's going on now would you ever? I mean, maybe if I could find the time one day, maybe I'd write a note, don't know if anyone would ever see it or read it, to the story group saying, what's going on here? I don't understand. But would you ever, like, curse out, demean, threaten the Pablo Hidalgo and the story group by social media, by letter, by whatever, because you didn't like the way the, the story's going? I mean, I can't wrap my head around that. No, and even I said it myself. I mean, I mean, not that that's. I'm not saying people are doing that, but right. what I'm saying is, you know, if if that's what the problem really is, you know, the way the the story is going. I mean, that's that's my difficulty these days, and I wouldn't put that on on somebody. Well, for me, you know, as much as I had problems with the tone and the forced comedy and the just the jerkiness of the story structure of The Last Jedi, you know, you couldn't keep me away from going to see what comes next, whether it's a standalone story like Solo or Episode Nine, what, what comes after The Last Jedi. I would have, you know, Lucasfilm would have to put out something of the equivalent of the holiday special to get me to <laughs> seriously consider, well, maybe I won't go next time anymore. Maybe I'm done with Star Wars. But no, they, they're not going to do that. But so that's, that's what, like what we were talking about before, the different levels of fandom, which is fine, whatever level somebody's at. I mean, we are on, on the uh, level of hardcore fans. But I mean, let's, let's take me, for example, with Marvel. Okay, I enjoy the Marvel movies. I'm not an uber fan not like you are or Kyle is our son. But so I saw Infinity War. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I've seen most, if not all of the Marvel films. But to be perfectly honest, if I don't see an opening week, I'm okay. If I don't get around to it until seeing it at home, I'm okay with that. And there are people that feel that way about Star Wars. And if they weren't happy with Force Awakens and or The Last Jedi, they might decide it's not for them. And that's fine. But some of these hardcore fans claiming that, you know, that they're the reason that, you know, Solo isn't doing well... <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a lot more to account for. Like uh, you were saying that well, the timing. I, well, the, the right, timing, but, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but don't get me wrong. I mean, if, if, if the, the people that are more boisterous about claiming that they are the reason why Solo is suffering is because of this forced, you know, left-leaning liberal views from Disney, you know what? I'd rather not have them in theater in the first place. Yeah. I, I don't want them. I don't want people that are sexist or racist you know, mingling in this sort of thing and where 10, 15 years ago they would have just kept their mouth shut and watched the movie and enjoyed it. But today, for some reason, and I think if you know me, you know exactly why I think today all these people have been emboldened and they feel that they can kind of come out of their particular closet, their racist, hateful, sexist closet, and try to put their thoughts forward 
as just another opinion, and I'm sorry, but in, in my opinion, racism is not an opinion. Racism just kind of throws it all out of the water. It's one of these false equivalents now that they're throwing around that's saying, well, uh, women should stay at home and black people should just mind their own business. That's just my opinion. It's like, no, that's just completely goes against my personal you know, beliefs. And I'm sure everything having to do with Star Wars. Go watch something else that doesn't give you, you know, that gives you that hateful message that you're looking for. There's some, there's some directors out there that could be giving you that kind of material. I'm sure they might be a little hard to find, but that is not what George Lucas was all about, and that is definitely not what Disney's trying to do now. Look at the rebellion. The whole rebellion was built on people and beings from different worlds, different races, different, I'm sure, religions, uh, a whole different a grouping um, of a mix of people that did not want to be the, under the thumb of one dictatorship that believed their way was the way and uh, everyone else could go scratch. That's Star Wars was a about being able to be what you are yeah and and this happens all the time and like i said i mentioned it before people start reading their own personal agendas and beliefs into stuff that really wasn't meant to be that so you know i'm not saying to exclude people but don't project this negativity into something that doesn't need it doesn't want it and shouldn't have it and what you were saying before about solo about what's really to blame for these these lower profits or any profit. Not well, these same any people profit, are but, taking claim, like like you were saying right, earlier, it's not, that it's the robot. It's because of the robot. The robot is the, is in love with Lando, and Lando might be in love with the robot. So I'm not going to see this movie because this is like the same what? wackos that used to boycott Harry Potter because it was witchcraft. It's that yeah. kind of ridiculous mentality yeah. that it's. And like, they're you know it's when when the writer when John Casson uh, said that you know Lando was Pan. You know, it's neither here nor there. Uh, in the, if you watch the movie, it's you've got uh, the droid talking to Kira about how, oh, you know, Lando's really into her, but, yo, he's not, not her type. I mean, I thought it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek delusions of grandeur on the part of the droid. But it, it's, you know, and here's people saying, oh, it's a bad influence on children. It's like, I barely picked up on it. Your, your, your eight-year-old's not picking up on that. I'm sorry. So when people say that the solo movie isn't doing well because of all those things, I think they need to look at the fact, like you were saying, that it was released six months uh, later. Some people maybe, you know, the, the general audiences, maybe not the hard, hardcore fans, but general audiences, it, it may be too much. And in addition to that, wasn't 75% of the film reshot by Ron Howard? I mean that's yeah, got to well, cost a pretty penny. That, huh? They have to make that back too. That's part <laughs> yeah. of that's that has to be factored into their projections of how much they're hoping to make back. Yeah, like you said, the ones that have problems that are only about their own personal comfort zones, let them stay home. <laughs> well, again, you know, I, I remember hearing boycott, 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 all this stuff about boycotts when the Force Awakens came out, and that was a little uh, preview of what was coming in terms of some of this negative reaction. But I think that what's important here, and the, the thing that I'm trying to get to the, the, the bottom of here, is that, you know, we don't know exactly, exactly what it is that made this film not make as much money. We have some pretty good ideas having to do, like you said, with the timing and the other films that are out there right now. We also know that there are certain groups that are taking credit for it. They are blatantly, proudly taking credit for it. But a lot of these groups have to be kind of separated from legitimate fans that are having 
you know, structural story problems, as opposed to people that are just plain crazy, you know, racist, sexist type of people, that's a completely other can of worms that you cannot really help because those people are going to be around and like i said they are they've been emboldened now so they're going to be in your face about this sort of thing and unfortunately it almost feels like they're turning something like star wars into just sports well the the thing about it though too is on some sense um depending if you're a religious person a non-religious person you know some sense you got to send some of those people some good energy some prayers some something because if this is the biggest thing in their life the the biggest cause that they have to torment an actress for playing a role that they don't approve of and things like that it's really very sad although on the flip side comfort zones are a very strong thing i mean uh, you I can tell you when uh, when we moved less than four years ago, I pretty much had every almost every comfort zone I've ever had ripped out from beneath me. It's uncomfortable. It's awful. It's um, I didn't like it, and I still don't. But the fact of the matter is, there's an expression: you can't step into the same river twice. Meaning your life is going to change, and you can't often change it back. And Films are going to change over the course of decades. Stories are going to change. The storylines that we were comfortable with when we were kids are, are going to change because people change, humanity changes. You take somebody from a hundred years ago, suddenly wakes up and looks around, they're going to go drop right back down dead into their grave because nothing will be recognizable to them. And things are going to keep changing. So you can either be part of the change that has people moving towards a more peaceful coexistence with each other, or you can give in to those, um, those comfort zones and, and just keep making the world a mess. <laughs> well, we definitely have more of these films coming. Uh, <laughs> luckily, the next one won't be for another, well, luckily, it won't be for a year and a half because of this offshoot that Solo was thrown into. So where normally Solo would have been released in the winter, now they're going to release Chapter 9 in the, uh, I think, for Christmas of 19. So that might be a good thing because now people are going to be wanting something and they have to wait for it longer. I mean, remember in the past, we were waiting three or four years between films and then we had to wait from 83 to 99, I think it was. So, you know, we had a pretty long stretch of of no star wars whatsoever and now they're just they are coming pretty fast i hope they're not trying to replicate marvel you know marvel is doing like i think two or three a year which is insane but they're succeeding at it that's the important thing they're succeeding at it well you know i'm a disney fan you know i'm a star wars fan but i do question all the time whether disney truly truly understands the star wars fandom i i think they need to uh, as much as i love watching star wars movies and when they come out i think they need to take a little more time between each film you know start looking at more of what's important to fans as far as the story and the character development. Not, Although, as, far, not as far as the trolls are out there, no, you know, inter, no. in their internet uh, uh, tweeting no. and hey, that kind of crap. I'm, I am female. I'm happy to see uh, more females in important roles in Star Wars. However, that doesn't mean I want to see every important role in you know as right. as a female bad writing uh, is bad can, writing yeah, there, can, bad writing doesn't have a sex attached to it or an ethnicity and th- i mean that's one of the arguments i remember we i was having with somebody and i was like we both were in agreement these are the two people that didn't like last jedi too much that rose's character 
was kind of useless in a way. But one person brought it more of a, well, she's just Asian because she's pandering to the Chinese market. And I'm like, well, no, she could have been an Eskimo. She could have been purple. It's the character, not matter. the ethnicity. Right. That's the problem. It had so to do with we it. were both agreeing, but for different reasons. And, you know, I'm completely in disagreement with what I was being told. Yeah. You know, but people need to, um, even the hardcore fans from when they were young children from decades ago, need to grow up a bit and realize that things change. And you can put a hundred hardcore fans in a room with the story team and the story team could ask them, what do you think should happen in episode nine? And you will get close to a hundred different opinions. They're never going to please everybody. So I guess they try and, and please a microcosm of the population. And that's the way it should be. And I think know? this will also, just like everything else, this might be just a wave we're riding now. Just like with politics, we're on this wave now of really nasty, disgusting kind of behavior and words uh, being thrown around that hopefully the Star Wars movies can get past that and we get to a point that maybe we'll, you know, people will start to kind of scale back a little bit. You know, don't just don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind and put it on the internet directly at a person's, you know, Twitter feed or Facebook page or whatever it is. Don't just vomit your 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 thoughts, your your potentially disgusting internal thoughts out there for everyone to see. I think it's like I said before with um, you know, you can't step into the same river twice, but throughout all the changes in history, they've they've come with, you know, steps forward and backwards and forward and backwards and some tumultuous, you know, stops along the way. Well, the only thing I have left to say is and I'll like I said before, as soon as that next film gets released, I'll be there waiting, you know, in the theater to watch it. I don't care what it is. I don't care what people are going to say about it ahead of time. No matter what they could potentially be boycotting this time, I don't know what kind of new characters are coming, how many men, how many women, how many Eskimos, how many Martians. I don't care. I just want Star Wars. And and if you hate it, if you hate the story, are you are you going to go are you going to go right nasty uh, you no. know, cursing out the, no, but the director I, but I will on social definitely, media? <laughs> no, but I'm going to do a podcast about why I right. dislike this story or why yes. I love this story. Exactly. <laughs> Keep the hatred out of it. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We started off with Celebration, one of our favorite events that happens every couple of years. And we went over its newest location and the, the good things and bad things about that. And we also threw out there some ideas of how this could be made even a better event. This way, more people from different places could enjoy it better. And then we jumped over to Star Wars fandom, specifically the toxicity issues we're having lately on the internet. Somewhat of a, I would say, controversial subject. It is still, you know, we're still in the middle of it between the reaction that people are having to Solo, to The Last Jedi, to The Force Awakens, you name it. Uh, how it's all kind of getting mixed up and very cluttered and this different side of fandom that we are usually not used to seeing with Star Wars kind of rearing its ugly head and you know we're trying to kind of separate the legitimate complaints from the ridiculous complaints and see how it all kind of connects and you know trying to look forward to see you know which way is this going to go because this is something we're not really used to dealing, not only in science fiction in general, but specifically in Star Wars, it being such a close-knit community and very accepting community, that when we get these 
kind of outliers all of a sudden popping up, it definitely uh, should concern everyone who claims to be a Star Wars fan. So on behalf of everyone here, thank you for listening, and we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Welcome to Fanboy Court. On this episode, Josh Gruber, the plaintiff and self-titled real Star Wars fan, is suing on the grounds that The Last Jedi is the worst piece of cinema since Jar Jar stepped in Banthapoodoo, and that Disney has officially ruined his childhood. He is demanding that the sequel trilogy be struck from the canon and a new trilogy be made under his guidance because he, quote, has some really sick ideas. The defendant, Chris Johnston, is a fan who thinks that The Last Jedi was a cinematic masterpiece that takes the franchise in bold new directions. He is countersuing because the plaintiff is, quote, not a real Star Wars fan and demands that the plaintiff be stripped of his nerd cred as well as his complete set of Jabba's Palace Kenner action figures. All rise. Fanboy court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Melvin is presiding. Thank you, bailiff. And may I remind the court that today we'll be getting into spoiler territories. So if you haven't had a chance to see these films yet, you may want to excuse yourself now. So, what do we got today? Okay, wow. The Last Jedi. You guys sure you want to touch this? Your Honor, the destruction of Alderaan pales in comparison to the cinematic atrocities Disney has committed with The Last Jedi. It was a poorly plotted mess that not only creates universe-shattering plot holes, but also mishandles characters from both the original trilogy and the new. Your Honor... The plaintiff is clearly just butthurt that Disney didn't make a Star Wars film that catered to his fanboy fantasies and made something that challenged the status quo. It isn't Disney's fault that the plaintiff can't handle change or perfection. Perfection? It was a travesty. The only travesty is what you've done to the toilets at Comic-Con. Okay, that was just one. I do not want to have to use this, okay? This replica is camera ready and cost me a pretty penny. Sorry. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>